You're listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the Racehorse Owners Association, and the racing app in partnership with Fitzdares. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Cool grey morning here in TW11 on Friday, the 2nd of February. I just feel so glad to have January in the rearview mirror, as I'm sure does Jane Mangan, particularly given that we are on the eve of the Dublin Racing Festival. There's good stuff here as well over the weekend. We'll be concentrating on that a little bit later on. But Dublin first, Jane. And the key question is, Mullins Fest though it might be, what are we going to learn from the next couple of days. What are the key questions that you want answered and you feel will be answered? The next couple of days will line up where we stand in terms of March, but we think in Ireland that this Dublin Racing Festival is the concentration of quality that Cheltenham lacks. Where you you go to March, you have four days and you can disperse and avoid. A lot of clashes are happening here, which will really establish who is top dog in each division. Take, for instance, Marine National. He's in the Irish Arkles straight in from his beginner's chase, just like he did over hurdles when he went from a maiden hurdle to the Royal Bond, maiden to grade one, beginner's chase to grade one. He's odds on to beat Facile Vega. Okay, some people will say it's disappointing that Gaelic Warrior isn't in there, but we have the prospect of seeing him meet his stablemate fact to file over two mile five on the Sunday. We're going to establish whether fast or slow, whether the twice that he's beaten Gallop and Deschamps was it a fluke? Was that the real Gallop and Deschamps? Because the handicapper seems to think that they're very far apart. He has them £12 apart in official ratings, despite the fact that Martin Brazel's horse has beaten him the last two twice they've met. Then you throw in the prospect of coming back in a dream to share. I know it's in bumpers and some people will be disappointed that he's not gone over hurdles yet, but I'm just glad to see him, to see him back, to see if he retains that ability. And I'd prefer to see him in a bumper than not see him at all. You started quite punchily there with, we think this is the concentration of quality. This is where good horses meet and can't avoid each other. The irony of that, a day after we found out that Gaelic Warrior wasn't taking on Marine Nationale, will not be lost on anybody, Jane, will it? Well, he's not exactly going for the easier option because you can say Marine Nationale, okay, he's favoured for the Irish Arkle. Are you telling me he's going for an easier race when he's taking on the likes of Fact to File and Gaelic, uh, potentially uh, Grange Clare West? It's notable that we're recording this before we have declarations for the Sunday. Indeed. Now, you're probably going to point to the fact that oh, all of them are his stablemates. Well, thank God for Barry Pound's horse because he's the only one to take on Team Clusutton. And the dominance of one stable is greater than it has ever been. Where might this festival be two years from now? What are we going to be looking at? Are we going to be looking at an even more extreme um, distillation of quality into one stable? Or will the wheel turn, do you think, as a reaction to that? The fact that over half of the grade one runners on the first day are coming from one yard. It, it's not healthy. It doesn't look healthy. 27 runners over the four grade ones on day one of the Dublin Racing Festival. 15 of the 27 are trained by one man. Take that and interpret it as you wish. But I think in two years time, it's all about the reinvestment for other trainers to try and find these horses to take them on. And we know 
when Martin Brazel gets a faster slow. Look at the results he can get. We know when Barry Connell gets his hand on a Marine National what he can do. And there's so many trainers who fall into that category. But right now, and it has been the case for a number of years, probably even a decade, Willie Mullins has been building to this point through reinvestment and finding the talent first day. One of the more entertaining games is to to wonder whether the third, fourth, fifth string can come and upset the apple cart. Are there any examples of that, do you think, uh, throughout the couple of days where, um, say, Paul Townend might be on the wrong one or Willie's underestimating one and overestimating another, or the market is anyway? Um, can you see a can you see a a blue on blue attack anywhere? I can, yeah. There's definitely uh, an example of that in the Supreme, or sorry, the Spring Juvenile. Um, this is a really tricky puzzle for Paul Townend or indeed any punter to try and figure out because most of these have only ran once and have been impressive. High wind made a mistake of punches down at the last, and he's still won by a street bunting. Absolutely bolted up in Limerick, albeit did he beat trees? Storm Hart, he was awesome when he's. Uh, seasonal and stable debut in Ireland as well. So Paul Tannen has gone for Storm Hart. I just wouldn't be surprised if a bunting or a high wind was a fly in the ointment and throw in the fact that Cargies, while she got beaten by Calaconti at Christmas, she pulled way too hard. If she managed to settle, she could realistically turn the form around. So Storm Hart then, Jane, as you say, ridden by Paul Townend, super impressive on his debut at Punchestown, which got everybody excited. I put in a call to Jigginstown House Studs Eddie O'Leary. And if you know Eddie, his first answer won't surprise you when I asked him whether he was as excited by this horse as everybody else was. Um, not really. <laughs> um, because, purely because he won a maiden hurdle, looked good doing it, but he beat, we don't know. Um, I think Willie himself has, has four or five in the same in the same league. And we'll find out on Saturday what's what. You're pretty good at reading the room when it comes to what people think of these horses. Are you getting are you getting the right sort of signs? <laughs> well, Willie, there's no room to read. <laughs> so what does it? So what does he tell you then? Um, <laughs> between slim and none. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. To, to, to be honest, we don't ask. We let, we let the horse do the talking. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I, I know he's liked. Willie, Willie was happy with what he did the first day. Um, I don't believe he expected the first day, so it was a surprise to him. Um, so we'll see where we are on Saturday. Okay. Just the twenty-two. Just the twenty-two lengths of five to do on first time. I'm just looking at Paul Townend, who's chosen to, I guess, chosen or been put on, whatever, however it works, is on your horse anyway. I mean, 20, 20 rides in the last two weeks and fourteen winners. I mean, I realise this team are dominant, but that's taking it to a completely new level, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. Listen, listen, what Willie has been doing for the last number of years has gone from, gone from, gone from new levels to new levels to new levels. And I think what Gordon, and, and as Gordon has been chasing, Willie's getting bigger and bigger and better. But like, like, like Willie, Willie, uh, Gordon has made Willie and vice versa. Yeah. And, and Gordon's season at the beginning of this this year looked to be going extremely well. Some very promising young novices. Um, do you think this represents um, his most significant chance yet of at least at least aspiring to to challenge? I mean, obviously it's not going to happen this year, but is he is, is he is he pointing back in the right direction? Do you think to make it a duopoly rather than a monopoly, or is is the Mullins monopoly just going to intensify? 
Well, the, the, the Mullins monopoly has intensified year on year, but I think Gordon has put every has put everything behind him, and he's going forward again. A lot of nice young horses, and and I, like listen, listen, he he did the best he can. What he's doing is incredible, regardless. It, it, it's just a pity he's probably living the same year as Willie Mullins. Mm, indeed, and you're you're having to get back into the Mullins camp to get some favourites in some of these Grade Ones. Predators Gold is um, currently heading the market for the Nathaniel Lacey. What do you make of him as a horse? He was second behind Caldwell Potter last time. How much could he improve for the step up? A uh, nice horse won the Land Rover bumper last year, um, which is which, 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 which did very nicely. Um, he's, he's obviously quite a nice horse. Wasn't sure where he was until he came out. He won first out of a hurdles, but that was extended two and a half, and then he went back to two miles at Christmas, and I thought ran a super super race. Um, behind 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 Gordon's horse, but like ran a very very. In, in, no, uh, I would imagine that the two six is far more up his street. Mm. And it'll certainly, so yeah, it'll certainly be up the street of Stella Story as well. Um, how 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 far behind do you think he is? Well, we think he's a very very nice horse, but I think he wants the full of three miles, and a very very nice staying chaser in time. Um, uh, I would say that not forgiven, but um, it was a muddling race in Limerick, and Limerick ground at Christmas was unraceable, as as not 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 only unraceable, but it was you very hard to take form literally on that ground. Um, so he's he's certainly worth another shot. I think he's probably I don't know if it doesn't matter if he's, old, is he, if he's old price or not. He's probably a bit old price. Okay, well, he's yeah, he's not a bad price. He's he's almost into double figures depending on on where you look. And it's funny, it's funny. Dear old conflated the horse that everybody used to call lots of names, and now he rocks up in every single Grade One. So sort of people have started to fall in love with him a little bit. And he loves Leopardstown. Any chance of serving it up to Galapande Shaw? Uh, I would very much doubt it. Um, he's probably a quick three miler, and doesn't quite get a real staying three miles. So um, I would say that the heavy ground. In Leopardstown at Christmas, and his, and his way, his way, his way of enjoying racing, cost him. He was he was absolutely drunk coming to the last. Um, but he's entitled to rock on here again. Hopefully, the ground is not as soft. And after this, he'll go either to Ryanair or across country. Yeah, so he's definitely not going to run in the Gold Cup, even though he ran so well in it last year. No, 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 no. no. What's, what's the point of taking on Galpin Champion, who looks to be an unbelievable horse, Jerry Colum? Is very good too, and and and, and um, but Martin Braz's horse, good horse too, you know. So, and and that's without the English. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as far as the the, the, the team for Sunday is concerned, they're all pretty big prizes. But is there anything you're particularly looking forward to running? Um, I believe King King Kingfish is a nice horse. Somebody who just has to it has to just fall into his lap a little bit. He's a short runner, has to be ridden from behind, and. Um, he ran a very, very good race in the Royal Bond. I think um, it was his first time, first time he'd ridden that way, and then rode the same way in the Maiden Hurdle in Christmas, and was very, very good. Mm. So, been ridden, they've been ridden cold. Um, we believe he's nice horse. We'll see how nice he is on Sunday. Mm. Uh, and are you, you're not going to run brighter days ahead, are you? No. No. Okay. No. no. So she, she got, she got something around the corner for her. Oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a mayor's race in, in Navan on the 11th of February. And then hopefully all going well on Shelton for the mayor's novice. All righty. Um, and this, these lot of very, very nice horses coming up for sale on Monday. Um, are you going to get stuck in? Oh, should we go and have a look at it? Um, there, are, there, are, there, there are some nice horses. Pity, pity what's happened, but there, there, there are some nice horses there. And should we, it'll be interesting to see, to see what they'll make. Uh, I was asking Simon Cairns yesterday what he thought Caldwell Potter might make, and he was his eyes were spinning. I don't... <laughs> He said, "I've got no idea. It could be anything." Um, best, best guess. What do you reckon? Caldwell. Yeah. 
To be honest, to be honest, to be honest, I, I don't know. Like, like he won a great one the last day. Obviously, a very, very nice horse. Improves a lot. Um, he wouldn't be the physical of the other horses now. Okay. So maybe, so he might be a now. It might be a now horse rather than a horse. That... He has improved a lot now in a year. Or so, like, 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 like is, 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 yes, he definitely is a nice horse. Um, but, but, but like, he's not the big, imposing horse that we'd all we'd all like to have. But, but, he, but he is a very. He looks to be a very, very smart horse. Okay. Well, I'll be fascinated to see how how that all pans out. Eddie, thanks for talking to I me. Lead, I, I lead I lead valuation to, to the auctioneer. <laughs> and the man who'll be riding quite a few of those Jigginstown horses, the ones trained by Gordon Elliott anyway, is Jack Kennedy. Now, short of completely crowning him champion jockey, we were certainly edging our way there, Jane, at the, be- at the beginning of the season and mid part of the season. But the mighty town end is closing the gap and it could be nearly even Stevens by the end of the weekend. Very little in it. Look, Willie Mullins has already taken the mantle in terms of the lead of the Trainers' Championship, but Jack Kennedy is 12 in front of Paul Townend at the moment. Now, it's notable that Jack is very close to a maiden century. He is on 99 winners, and this will be his first career 100 when, when it happens, not if it happens, when it happens. He's also going to have his 400th ride tomorrow. So he's operating at a 25% strike rate. On his heels, hot on his heels, is a 40% strike rate. Paul Townend on fire with his boss, Willie Mullins. 12 behind him, going into one of the biggest weekends of the year. Prize money will be on offer. 2 million across the two days. 8 grade ones. But every single winner counts when it comes to the Irish Jump Jockeys Championship. It's going to get very interesting. Well, where are all the British runners, I hear you cry. There is one plucky Brit. And if I were to tell you the, the stable that Madara came from, you wouldn't be surprised because Sophie Leach, um, assisted very ably by her husband, Christian, have been running horses in France really successfully for the last few years. So they don't mind having a crack. And Madara's got a right chance as well. Um, Sophie's with me now. Sophie, how do you feel being the, the only British-based trainer with a, with a runner? Does it, does it leave you scratching your head a bit? not really um it's we're, we're fairly used to it really we 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 do a lot of traveling um we always want to have a we always like to go and ha- have a go um brian drew was keen to go as well timing wise it fitted in so yeah no we're we, we've had runners in ireland before as well um we've had runners at punchestown festival so um yeah i think should be should be good crack for everyone anyway and perhaps you've just hit the nail on the head there as well obviously and we've spoken about this before and christian and i was speaking about it on the podcast a few weeks ago we're all on the lookout for more prize money we're all on the lookout for you know to maximize you know owners experiences i'm quite surprised there aren't more owners who just think well i quite fancy a weekend in dublin and if i've got a horse good enough i'd quite like to run yeah, I, I I can't understand it really. Um, I mean, I know that with the Irish dominance and everything, it's it's people are sort of shy away from it and stuff. But um, you know, this horse looks to be progressive. Um, he's, I think he's in at third favourite at the minute, so he's not a forlorn hope. And um, yeah, we, we'd be hopeful of a good run and and hopefully set him up nicely for the festival. Well, I, he caught my eye when he he didn't actually complete a race earlier in the season at Cheltenham, and I thought, oh god, he's running a big race at a big price, and he's really built on that. It was a good good win at Cheltenham last time. H- how much more do you think there is under the bonnet? Um, cer- 
certainly he's he's only very he's only a very young horse so he's um de- developing physically all the time um and he's also um he he was he was he's come from come from a big yard so he he was relatively sort of robotic when he arrived and he's really really sort of coming to himself now and looks to looks to be showing us that he's improving all the time so um hopefully he can he can show that tomorrow has he taken you by surprise a bit then um a little bit yeah i mean he had he did have good form in france it's such fine margins i think he was he was really well fancied for a grade three at compiem when he um fell i think it was the second last and you know when when going very well had he gone on and sort of won that race he probably would have been a 200 grand horse but he didn't and so we managed to pick him up for a lot less than that so um yeah he's got the form he's got the pedigree he's also got the jockey james reevely absolutely brilliant for for so many years in France and what we saw what he could do again at Kempton over over Christmas time. You spend a lot of time training horses in France. Just give me your assessment of of his strengths as a as a rider. Oh, look, James is great. He's he's ridden a lot of big winners for us in France. Um he he's he's just a natural horseman. Um so yeah, look, he he's he's seems to be sort of at the top of his game at the moment so we're, we're lucky to have him and in a race like the one that you're you're taking in at, at the weekend this Ryanair handicap chase it's going to be hurly burly it's going to be you know, no quarter given two miles round round Leopardstown with everybody having a go the importance of patience is absolutely key and it strikes me he's got all the time in the world oh yeah 100 percent um you know I think probably we think that Madara will probably benefit from a step up in trip and we probably look to go down that route at the festival. Um, so I think, you know, it's highly likely that there will be times in the race when he's going to have to just hang on. Um, but what he showed last time was when they did go quick that he does stay very well and hopefully he'll be doing his best work at the end. I wish you all the best. It would be quite a tremendous achievement if as the sole representative from these shores you were to, to win in Dublin. Sophie, good luck. Great. Thanks a lot, Nick. Sophie Leach there. Jane Mangan is still with me. Jane, you've penned something of an obituary to Irish racing in today's Irish Examiner, or at least a warning shot across the bows as regards uh, the continued threat of the removal of daytime gambling advertising and the impact that could have. Uh, Just tell me why you were spurred into action again. I just felt time was of the essence now because while we have an amazing festival in the capital city we're going to have an influx of british fans we're going to have a great atmosphere we're going to have great action this is a major concern a a dark cloud lingering over the industry and it has been for over a year and while plenty of our industry bodies have lobbied a lot of uh, concerned parties whether you are a stakeholder in terms of a trainer or whatever your position in the industry any lobbying efforts, any letters written, any voices uh, aired seems to have fallen on Junior Minister James Brown as he, he seems a little bit dismissive. He almost seems deadpan when people express their concerns to him. And uh, we are getting nowhere near, I think, the resolution that we we would like to see. And in terms of an amendment to 
the Article 141, um, and that obviously pertaining to the coverage, um, there's going to be, as it stands, as it's written now, a ban before 9pm on all gambling advertising uh, on television, whether you're free to air or subscription. And obviously there's a lot of layers to the bill, but that's the one we're most concerned about because go back to when I was a kid and Captain Con Power and Eddie Mackin and all these amazing, amazing show jumpers, they were celebrities in our house. And show jumping now is not in our house because we can't see it. A couple of days a year at the RDS, we see it in the summertime and we'll go to the Olympics in Paris and Ireland's best chance of probably winning a team medal is our show jumpers, yet nobody can say who's on the Irish show jumping team for Paris. It is so important that racing stays on television. And this is something that has, it's going to have a seismic effect on our industry, no matter what way it's written. But right, we so can I, can try, I... Before being dry, Nick, we need to try and get this conversation seriously, taken taken seriously at government level. Yeah, I, I get all that. But I mean, what I don't know is the extent to which, say, how, is racing on RTE, how many days a year do you do on RTE? We do 30 days a year. And and will those 30 days be seriously compromised by a ban on daytime gambling advertising? No, because RTE does not have daytime advertising, gambling advertising on their coverage. So you you will still get, you will still get um, RTE covering racing, yeah? So you'll still get the national broadcaster covering horse racing uh, 30 times a year to that wider audience. You would hope that would be the case. So it, would there be any reason why it wouldn't be the case? I'm not being obtuse. I'm just saying, what's the? I don't. I have no idea. I have no knowledge of that of that Irish terrestrial landscape at all. Well, our RTE faces its own challenges, so I could never say with any degree of certainty what will happen in RTE. But we're obviously talking about the uh, subscription channels, which mm. broadcast Irish racing every day to an audience um i suppose a lot of people listening will say oh it's to industry folk it's to professional punters nonetheless would we could realistically end up with a situation where irish racing is being broadcast around the world but people in ireland can't see it okay jane back in a few moments time something for the weekend now with our friends at sportinglife.com in the hot seat this week is ben scoop linfoot a veteran of the dublin racing festival if you can be a veteran of the dublin racing festival but how to approach this weekend from a punting point of view scoop well obviously willie mullins is is the key figure isn't he with uh, uh, seven favorites in in the eight grade one races which is remarkable really and I think you've got to uh, approach it with which ones you want to be with and, and which ones you want to take on. And, and the ones you want to be with, you perhaps stick in uh, a few doubles and, and trebles. And, and the ones you want to take on, um, you, you perhaps have a go with a, a single bet. And uh, the one odds-on favourite that I think everyone will be with that I'm a little bit wary of myself is is Galloping Deschamps in the, in the Irish Gold Cup. I just think he's been beaten by fast or slow on a couple of occasions on on both occasions, it was because the emphasis was on speed, um, fast or slow, winning the Punchestown Gold Cup when it was a, a slow pace and a tactical race, and then winning the John Durkin when it was over the extended two-mile three furlongs at Punchestown. So in a small four-runner field, it could be a similar situation mm. again. Okay, so Galapande shot. <laughs> if we go through the grade ones where Mullins has got a favourite, Predators yep. gold, play or, or lay? Uh, Predator's goal, I would say, I'd, I'd prefer Loughlin, actually, the stable mate, so still Mullins, but perhaps the second string. 
There'll be a few of those. Storm Hart in the Spring Juvenile, grade one. Yeah, I think he might win that. I was very impressed with him uh, last time out at Punchestown, and uh, I think he might be tough to beat. Okay, then we know that Marine Nationale is one of the few favourites that is not trained by Willie Mullins, but of course Mullins has Fasal Vega against him. Uh, the other um, big graded races on on Sunday, uh, State Man, Play or Lay, can he it, it, can he be beaten by Friendly Fire or not? No, I don't think so. I thought he put uh, Impere Pass in his place last time and uh, been very impressed with State Man this year. I think he's actually improved. Uh, this season over hurdles since he was second to Constitution Hill in the champion hurdles so I'd be I'd be very much with him what about Gaelic Warrior well I, I like Factor File I thought he was excellent last time at Leopardstown just in the beginner's chase but he looks to have everything all the tools uh, required to be a top novice chaser so yeah I'd be with Factor File I think if, if they face each other uh, Ballyburn is very short in the novice hurdle <laughs> He is, isn't he? Yeah, I thought Farron Glory was running well when he came down at Aintree for Gordon Elliott, so perhaps this might be one that goes to Elliott for all that Ballyburn was good last time. And can you really oppose El Fabiolo, even though he's threes on in the Dublin chase? No. No, I don't think you can, can you? I mean, he came to prominence at this meeting last year when winning the Irish Arkle, and uh, he's just been dead impressive, so no, I wouldn't be taking him on either. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of short price horses. What about something that can actually put some food on the table? <laughs> At the DRF? Either, anywhere. Yeah, well, I, I like the big chap in Ireland um, in the Ryanair handicap chase for um, Paul Flynn. Uh, I thought he was uh, good last time. He beat my mate Mozzie earlier in the season. And uh, in, uh, in a handicap chase last time, he just shaped like a horse to me that had one of these big pots in him. He was second to the folks tiara and gets the three-pound pull, went right at the last fence, but was running on at the line. So I think he's one for the DRF. And at Sandown, in the 125, nap of the weekend, 135, not out for Paul Nichols and the Stewart family. Uh, really uh, fragile horse. Paul Nichols has said that himself, but he's taken his racing well um, with a couple of runs in December, running on over two miles last time. This step up in trip should be perfect. So he'd be my... Best bet of the weekend, one three five, not out. Ben Scoop-Linfoot there with something for the weekend at sportinglife.com. Jessica Harrington is always going to take on the big guns if she has horses that are good enough. She does uh, at this weekend's Dublin Racing Festival in the shape of Jatara, who is amongst the shorter-priced ones right early on in the cards tomorrow. Uh, she's been talking to Dave Keener, who began by asking her about some very happy memories at this festival. I've had some terrific memories there. You know, I, I love Leopardstown and that festival, you know, the, 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 the big races before Cheltenham. You know, I've always targeted them. them. I've never shied away from them. Sizing John won a Gold Cup. Super Sundays won a, a champion hurdle. What do you recall about Sizing John? Because that was, I suppose, the moment when he, he indicated that he was a special, special horse. Yeah, it was. You know, it indicated to us that, you know, he definitely, he'd, he'd, he'd come and he'd won the, the, the Kenlock Bray and Thurlis. And then he'd gone from there, you know, Robert was never under any Im Im illusion that he wouldn't stay, uh, but he still had to go out and prove it. You know, we got into the last half mile and we were in unknown territory, uh, but he stayed very well. And of course, he then went on to, to um, uh, produce the same staying effort in, in, in Cheltenham the same year. 
and Max Joy when he won the Irish champion. That was a real vintage period. Max Joy, Harty Bald himself, they'd locked horns there for two or three years, produced great finishes at Cheltenham, but great to see him get his head in front and gain a deserved success at Leperstown, considering he was so consistent and considering that the, the opposition uh, was so high at the time. Yeah. Well, the same opposition you know, turned up every year and uh, there was Archibald Brave Inca uh, himself and you know, there was very little between them. You know, one, one would win one day and one would win another day, uh, but it was a vintage time for, 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 two, for, the, for the two mile champion hurdlers. And last year, just before Christmas, you were awarded that special award at Horse Racing Ireland. And just reflecting back on you as a trainer over the last 25, 30 years and the significance of what you achieved back then. And everybody celebrated what Rachel and Honeysuckle did back in the last three, four years. But go back 20, 25 years ago, you were flying the flag there for a long, long time. How much do you look back with such satisfaction that you were the standard bearer uh, and, you, and you led the way for women in racing to a degree. Well, when I was doing it, I probably didn't really notice it. When you do something, you, do it, uh, you don't really, you, know, you get on and do it and then there's the next challenge and the next challenge. But when you look back on it, you then, reflect, you then do reflect and see, well, actually, I, I, you know, I was doing something and it was the first time I, I, you know, women had done probably w uh, that in racing. Like you've won a gold cup, you've won champion hurdles, you've won champion chases you were doing it for so so long and I kind of think within racing we just took it for granted but I kind of think you must look back with great satisfaction and great fondness back then. Well listen I'm you know I am I, you know it's great satisfaction I was lucky to have the horses that took me to those places that you know unless you have horses you know I had horses that took me to places that I never dreamed of going and and having the success that I had uh, and I was just lucky to have those owners and those horses. And then I suppose Rachel, she rolled the, 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 the momentum on and took it to a new level, yeah. herself and Honeysuckle. They were massively important for racing and, and uh, you must have looked on and said uh, you'd love to train her. But again, I think we all celebrated in those victories and those successes. Yeah, you know, like it's, it, it's, it's fantastic that, you know, that Rachel has achieved so much and that, and that, that women in, in racing now are achieving. You know, there's many more women trainers, there are many more, win, uh, many more girls coming in to become jockeys and with great success, terrific success. So aspirations for this filly at, at Leopardstown, what's the aspiration or what's the hope? Well, she wouldn't be there unless I thought she could win. I hope she can. You know, if I go in there, you know, I wouldn't be put, pitting her in there unless I thought that she has a very good chance. And I hope she does. She lives up to my expectations. Jessica Harrington there. Now, many of you might know that Steve Jobar, the former jockey who numbers Highlands victory in the Triumph Hurdle in 1980 amongst his big race wins, has been living with motor neurone disease for a little while now. At Newbury on March the 22nd, there is a big fundraising lunch. It's being put together by broadcaster and journalist Jonathan Powell, who's with me now. Jonathan, tell me a little bit more about Steve. He was a terrific jockey. He spent eight years with a trainer called Alex Kilpatrick, uh, not far from Marlborough. He started at a pound a week, went on to two pounds a week in the next year. But he ended up riding a lot of winners for Kilpatrick, including 12 times at Fontwell on a horse called the Stickler. Then he joined Stan Meller and flourished. And he won a couple of big races towards the end of his career. One of them was on Pacify, who fell in the great 1981 Grand National won by Alden Eaty. And I have a picture, well, I have lots of pictures of Alden Eaty, uh, jumping beach a second time and pacifiers just behind him. 
but sadly he fell there. So that was at the end of Steve's hopes of winning a Grand National. Mm. He's been amazing. He was diagnosed in April two years ago. Uh, a few of us went round to see him, a few old pals like John Frank and other jockeys, myself, and it became clear he wanted to raise money, not for himself, this is all for the Motor Neuron Disease Association, to find a cure. He was dismayed, he was horrified that there wasn't a cure for motor neuron disease. He's pretty upset too that there's no effective treatment for it. Once you're diagnosed, um, you just steadily go downhill. You've seen on TV and been amazingly impressed by Kevin Sinfield in particular for doing all sorts of things like running marathons seven in seven days for his pal Rob Burrow they're, they're rugby league people though Kevin you know works for the rugby union for England and Doddy Weir before him uh, did great things with the doctors he got all the doctors together in a room and gave them hell he said why haven't you got a cure yet mm. well Steve's and Steve's are the same thinking and what we're trying to do is raise awareness of the illness and raise as much money as possible for research into a cure. And half will go to that half. The other half will go to his local branch of the MND, who have been brilliant with him and his wife, Dottie, from day one. They they provided pastoral care. They provided guidance. They, they're holding his hand and Dottie's hand all the time because step by step, this just gets worse and worse. It's the most horrific disease. And Steve, is, Steve sort of looks okay. He's lost... Lost a fair bit of weight. He's got a lovely curly head of hair and he smiles a lot, but he is struggling now. He, he's feeding himself with liquids rather than solids, struggling to swallow, losing some strength in an arm. And he's just recently been fitted with a neck collar to keep his head up. So it's, it is the most horrible thing he's going through. And we every time we have a committee meeting, which is pretty frequently, he's there and... He finds it so frustrating that we can't understand him, but he's now got into the habit of writing down questions and answers, which makes it a bit easier. But it's a one-way route for him. And in the time he has left, he just wants to push this as much as possible to raise as much money, as I say, not for him. Every penny goes to the MND Association. And just tell us practically how we can help. If we're not at Newbury on the day, uh, Jonathan, how can how can we help and get involved in this particular cause? Well, we've had donations from some very well-known and wealthy people. We've had donations from people who've given us a tenner or a fiver because that's all they can afford. Times are hard, Nick, you know that, not just for racing. But the best way, in my view now, is that Steve has a Just Giving page and anybody who makes a donation to Just Giving page, his Steve Jobar's Just Giving page, uh, can get extra 25% on that by using gift aid. Uh, one of the first people I told about, Steve, was Paul Nichols, and he is incredibly generous. He immediately went on and put £500 on just Steve's Just Giving page. We've had bigger donations than that, but it's up, it's up to about 8500 now. We'd love to push that to 20000 That is the simplest way. We've all, we're also raffling a car. £20 a ticket sounds quite a lot but you either get the car or £13,000 and people have been very generous with that. But if people can make a donation to us, but the best way, which goes straight to the MND Association straight away, is his Just Giving page.
Well, I very much hope you've been enjoying our occasional series on equine nutrition here on the podcast in partnership with Kentucky Equine Research and Saracen Horse Feeds. Once again, pleased to be joined by founder of KER, Joe Pagan, and Polly Bonner, who's the director of Thoroughbred Nutrition at Saracen, with quite a special announcement uh, for something just around the corner. In fact, beginning uh, Monday, the 5th of February, so just after the weekend. Joe, tell me what is happening. Okay, Nick. Um Last November was KER's 35th anniversary. So uh, over that time, we have one of the things we're really proud of is hosting a lot of conferences to kind of bring cutting edge information into the horse industry. And we're this one that's coming up is actually our 27th conference. And through the years and more recently, I felt that a lot of um, researchers have gone away from studying the athletic horse and concentrated more on the old horse or the obese horse. So I, I really felt that we needed to kind of get back to our roots and study the athletic horse. So this conference that's coming up is all about the performance horse. We've got a world-class slate of speakers that are going to cover a lot of really interesting topics relative to the performance horse. I, I enjoyed my time at Kentucky Equine Research enormously the the thing that struck me even back then which is god 25 years ago maybe more 26 27 years ago and you were a relatively young company then was the extent to which you were trying to build a a global family of equine nutrition partners um is is that one of the aspects of the business that you're most proud of absolutely i mean the global aspect and sort of uh evidence of that is at this conference that's coming up, we have delegates from 19 countries attending the conference. It doesn't hurt that we're having it in Ocala, Florida this year. So February in Florida is not a bad place to be, but it's very much a global effort. Uh, and it, it's, it's really interesting to study how performance horses are fed and managed at, in different places, whether it's in the US, Europe, Australia, Japan, wherever. And it might just be worth reiterating what you are doing in Florida yourself with your own little string of uh, of performance horses. Yeah, uh, previously we had had these conferences in Kentucky, which is our home base, or Australia, which is another. But recently we've established a real research presence in Ocala, where we have two uh, research facilities where we've got quite an active exercise physiology program. So Ocala's home in the winter to to me and a lot of our research horses. And so where would you typically get them from? Do you breed them yourself? Do you buy them off the track? Do you buy them at the sales? What's what's your general MO? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a great example of one of our research horses that I'm using right now on some studies. Uh I had the this filly's mother, who was a research horse for me and a racehorse for me. I bred her. We fold this this filly. I used her in a research project. I sent her to the racetrack. We won fifty thousand dollars with her, and now she's back in the research uh, herd again. So a lot of them uh, have different roles as they go through. Almost all of the horses we have are thoroughbreds that we get as yearlings, two-year-olds uh, at the commercial sales in Kentucky or Florida. Uh, presumably, and I realize I'm off on a bit of a tangent here, but I think people will find it fascinating. Presumably, when you send a horse into training, having had it in your research facility, you're getting horses pretty fit doing what you're doing before 
anybody anybody with a license even gets hold of them. Well, sure. I mean, uh, in that instance, the the filly was in training at our research uh, racetrack, so she was breezing and was not too far from actually racing by the time she went. So we do research in two different ways, some on high-speed treadmill, but some is on a six-furlong racetrack where they do regular breezes just like a racehorse. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about what you anticipate to be some of the highlights of the KER conference. Well, again, it's all uh, looking at the performance horse. One of the, the areas that we're doing are some of the disorders that are really common in racehorses. EIPH, bleeding, uh, is, is one. Myopathies, muscle disorders, is one. Uh, ulcers, which is a big deal. And we're looking at all of the different imaging technologies that are available now for uh, diagnosing lameness in horses. So disorders is an interesting area, some cutting edge new techniques for studying horses, but also we're doing a whole session on heat stress. And this has become a really big deal uh, in the US, it's become a big deal all over the world. And so there, we're really intensifying our extra, uh, our research to try to understand how heat affects the horses during exercise and how they can recover from exercise. So we've got a really good area on that, including anhydrosis, where there's some new findings. Uh, Polly, you are about to get on the plane to head to, to Miami? I am. I I am. I'm the lucky one. I haven't had to do any of the organizing. I'm taking a, um, some of my own team, uh, two from Saracen and one of our European distributors is coming with us. So I get to sit back and drink it all in and get inspired and come home newly motivated for all of my clients. So it's really exciting. And it's a great opportunity to just have time with all of these scientists, you know, not just during the conference, but in the evenings, just to be able to pick their brains a little with some of the scenarios that I might have going on with my own clients currently. And I, I can yeah, come and I, with answers. Yeah, exactly. And I'm guessing that that means, you know, when you're out, selling to your clients or trying to persuade them that, that, that you're the way forward, you can say, right, well, this is why, this is the science behind it. And that's what's always made the biggest difference for us, the fact that we've got evidence-based science directly from Joe. Um, the difference that he has managed to make in everybody's understanding throughout the world, but just within our own team has been, well, outstanding. It's second to none. If you could all see him, you'd know he was blushing. Um, <laughs> Polly, um, it seems a good opportunity before we close just to trail our, our project together that we worked on the other day, which was a, a film down at Rafe Beckett's charting how um, his equine nutrition program has helped his string burgeon and uh, garner significant group one success. Yes. And thank you yet again for coming and um, doing all that wonderful interviewing to get all the wise words out of him. Um, Rafe has worked with Saracen now for 20 years as in January 2004 was when we first began. So we've obviously started in Lambourne with him, moved to Whitsbury with him, and then where he's settled so perfectly now at Kimpton. And what a year last year to be able to look back on, let alone the whole 20 years. So that was a lot of fun. And you being able to, you know, see some of the horses up close and personal in their own, in their own home. Yeah, and what a beautiful collection of horses he's got. How we're looking forward to this flat season, how we're looking forward more imminently to Monday, uh, February the 5th, and the Kentucky Equine Research uh, Conference in Florida and look forward to hearing reports of it 
uh, after. Dr. Joe Pagan, Polly Bonner, thanks both so much. Thank you, Nick. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Jane Mangan has a tip for you. Yes, the grade ones might be difficult in terms of uh, finding good value for punters. So I'm going to go to tomorrow's handicap hurdle at three o'clock. And that features a huge field of 24 runners. Surely we'll find some value. And I'm going to go Panda Boy, course and distance winner over hurdles, second in the paddy power at Christmas over fences. He's team fast or slow. It could be a big day for Martin Braslin, JJ Slevin, and I hope before the big one, Panda Boy gets them into the winner's enclosure. Excellent stuff. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, February the 2nd. If you're off to Dublin this weekend, have a fabulous time. We'll see you again on Monday morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily in association with Timeform, with the Racehorse Owners Association and with the Racing App in partnership with Fitzdares.